welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we watch Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. I'm Matt, I'm the host, and with me this week is my fantastic co-host Anne Stickney. And how have you been? Well, I was just coughing a lot. I don't know what happened there. I like muted myself on the microphone and then immediately had a coughing fit. That was fun. Anyway, hi, I'm doing great. I've got Good. all kinds of things going on. And now added to that to-do list, apparently I really need to go solo the quest for to get Shadowmourne. Except for that one part that you can't solo. But anyway. Yeah, get at least two other people to help you uh, yeah. with Blood Queen. Yeah. And, and make sure they understand, don't DPS her fast. Like, you like just maybe stand don't even DPS her at all. Yeah. Because if you look at her sideways, she'll probably fall over. Yeah. And, yeah. No, and, 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 like, and it's like, wait. yeah. It's actually it, easier to do it on 25, man. Oh, yeah. I figured because she's got more health. Yeah. Yeah. 25 I, heroic or just 25? Yeah, I would, I would take it up as high as you can. Okay. It, All right. it would, the more health she's got, the less chance you're gonna just insta give her. Anyway, yeah, so that's on my to do list of things to do, along with you know more dinking around on the PTR, which I haven't done this week, and I wanted to, but maybe I'll get around to my that this weekend. I have to get I have to get tires this weekend. I gotta get tires this weekend. Yeah, I've go been to, basically. And what I, have I been doing? I don't know. Maybe planning to go to BlizzCon. <laughs> Yeah, that's. But I mean, like, I had to get like I I had to make sure I had my travel documents, and then I had to um like I did the the stuff the other day with the hair and beard, and uh, I need to get like you're in the Canadas, you're in the Canadas, so you need like the passport and all of that stuff, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I need also need I need a new phone because my current phone does not have anything like any storage room. And I don't think I should go to BlizzCon and then not have the ability to take pictures of anything. That would probably be bad. You should, you should, um, who's your cell phone provider up there? Hudo. Okay. I was going to say, I don't know if Google Fi goes up there or not, but. Uh, It'll be an Apple. I'll tell you right now. Oh, okay. Uh, It's just going to be an Apple phone. It's just easier for my family. Yeah, but I think so. I think Google Fi will take iPhones. The, the th- Google Fi is like a service provider. It's not it's not the phone phone. And no, we Google get, Fi, we get our phone well, through Kudo. Old... We have a family plan. Oh, okay. So basically, my wife has a phone. My her mother has a phone, and I have a phone. Okay. And it's all through the one plan. So I'll be going back and saying, "Hey, can you upgrade this phone on this plan?" Gotcha. Go. Okay. The only reason I mentioned Google Fi is because they're international stuff. You don't even have to do anything. You just cross the border, <laughs> and it's like, okay, <laughs> it's weird. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So what have you been up to besides like all of that stuff? Any game stuff or nah? Not so uh, much. I've been not playing the uh, Outer Worlds because I decided not to buy it this week um, because I'm going to be here like two days and then I'll be flying out. So uh, instead of getting that, uh, I finished Greedfall, which is interesting. Uh, it it ends really abruptly. Uh, I've actually have been doing some wow. I've been like playing low level characters, getting them leveled up a bit because we're getting to that point where I'm getting ready for whatever the next expansion is. And I'm starting to think about, am I going to want to play like, for instance, I'm on my human warrior right now, my oldest character. Which warrior are you going to want to play? It could be any of the warriors. Which one is it going to be? (laughs) I'm feeling really nostalgic for my original character. um, Who is the guy I'm on on the stream right now. If you're watching the stream, I am standing there on my human warrior. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll just play him next expansion and let all my other characters rest. Like my night elf needs a break. She's been through enough. Uh, I feel like she can just, she can take some time and not. This expansion was kind of rough. Yeah. And whereas my humans sat out this expansion pretty much. So he'll be like, you know, getting back in the harness isn't so bad for him. Uh, or I could play one of my Draenei. I have the Draenei. I basically retired on, on Draenor 
he could come out of retirement or I could start a new character. I, I'm thinking about starting a Forsaken over on the Horde, a Forsaken Warrior, just because, Re- you know, really? they're, they're, in, they're in an interesting place right now. Yeah. And I, could, I could play him as Repentant or I could play him as Unrepentant. There's lots of options. I my forsaken character my my soul forsaken character is my forsaken priest and um she's not really like gung ho about Sylvanas or the forsaken or anything mostly she's just deeply deeply embarrassed with the manner in which she perished because it wasn't like you know a noble death or she tripped on a rock and <laughs> like hit her head <laughs> and died and then whatever scourge brigade happened to be coming through found this body in the field and said okay you and yeah so it was like the most inglorious death ever and mostly she's just like really annoyed at her whole situation and the world in general i love that character so much she's not she's not a uh she's not she's not a standard forsaken by any means <laughs> anyway um. Yeah. Well, I get on talking about them there, that their news out there, and then we the got some. I don't know why. Every time we do this, I turn into a prospector. At this point, I don't I, know what it is. Yeah, but I, like I, it, so I don't it. know what's up with that, but okay. Uh, first, but you know, top stories, all that. Like, first story is the thing I wanted to report on, just because it was, it was, it was such a. They're doing that, and finally, at the same time, yes. Um, they put Deathwing finally in Heroes of the Storm. Which I think I'm so they, happy. We've been talking about this. I think people have been talking about Deathwing and Heroes of the Storm for like two years. Forever. If not more. It's been um, forever that people have been talking about that. Because there was like this proposed list of heroes and and Deathwing I think was on that list. I can't remember, but but people have been wanting Deathwing for a really long time. Let's just we'll leave it at that. Um so the fact that he's finally going in the game is Great! Did you watch the whole reveal trailer thing? Yeah. The in fact, I when I first watched the reveal trailer, I thought, oh my god, people are gonna lose their minds because it, they they totally made it seem like all they did was put in a Deathwing skin for night for Brightwing. For, yeah. For for Brightwing, I thought, oh man, people are gonna lose their. I mind. thought that was funny as heck, though. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that was gonna be it. I thought that that was the whole thing. That the entire trailer, everything was just for this Deathwing skin for Brightwing, and I was like, "Oh God, people are gonna lose their minds!" And then suddenly, boom! And there's Deathwing, and I was like, oh, "Okay, all right, people will now be, people will be okay now. It's fine." Um, and one of the things I thought was really interesting is I want them now to put in a Diva skin for Deathwing. Why? Because Diva has a Deathwing skin. Oh, okay. So, so I you want to just sh- put that in in Heroes as well as the one that they already have, or I want Deathwing to have a Diva skin where he looks. It's still Deathwing, still looks like Deathwing, except it's kind of like a giant purple mech now, or even just the Diva's Diva's skin type. Make him costume. look like the bunny. Yeah, sure. I don't care. <laughs> Why not? It's fair. What even, would like, the you know, dialogue be between those two characters if they ran into each other wearing each other's skins? That'd be pretty great. Actually, I like that idea a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's just something I think it would be cool. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff here about Deathwing. Um, there's people have, there was a little panel on Twitch and they talked about what he's got. He's got Aspect of Death, so he's a dragon all the time. Uh, he is a dragon. He yeah, he's a dragon all the time. So he's like... It's like Alex Straws's dragon form, only bigger. And the fun part is that he's permanently unstoppable. Yep, he waddles where he wants to waddle. He is also completely unaffected by allied abilities. You can't heal him, 
Abathur can't hat him, nothing. He starts with 40 armor and loses 10 armor for a 25% health loss. Basically, so he... he's a gigantic powerhouse that will go where he wants to go. Um, he's a bruiser and a mage flex. Uh, and yeah, he's he's got the most interesting kit I think I've seen in quite some time. Not the, you know, the permanently unstoppable thing is one thing. The fact where you can't like heal him or anything, that's like that's weird. And then his attacks and things like that are absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know if you saw the trailer. I'm wondering if that whole flame wing effect that he had if that's actually going if that was like live footage and i think it is because he's got the custom mount and the custom mount is dragon flight so he lifts off and he can land wherever he flies basically um so it's mm-hmm. like his own custom mount kind of thing so i'm hoping that when he lifts off and flies that whole burst of flames along his wings that we saw on the trailer that's what that looks like because that was cool the interesting thing about his flight by the way which is something i wanted to point out that his flight regains health 2% per second and his armor plates also regenerate, um, which is very interesting because he doesn't get armor plates back from healing from health globes. So the only time he's going to really be healing since nobody else can heal him is when he uses his flight ability to travel the map. Yeah. So using your flight ability with it's got a 45 second cooldown, keep in mind, but using your flight ability to escape and to go all the way across the map is going to be a strategy Deathwing uses. Because it's going to be pretty much the only way he can get healed back up. Um, since nobody else can do it. And healing globes will, I guess, it says healing globes don't affect his armor plates. But it doesn't say they don't affect him. So I, he could probably use, still use the healing globes. But yeah. he can only use them to heal. He won't get his armor back. He'll get so, his health back, but he won't get his armor back. Because the thing is, so is like he loses... The map. Yeah. yeah, he starts with that 40 armor, but he loses 10 armor per 25 health loss. So and he even if get he that heal, back. yeah, even if he heals back up, he's not going to get that armor back um, unless he's flying. Um, and this is actually kind of interesting too. I love his heroic. His heroic, he flies into the sky and then he scorches an area in front of him, sort of like a flying uh, lava away from Ragnaros, that kind of thing. Um, but each level has like different abilities with it. So there's like two two options at level 10. One option is just to increase the damage. And when a tower or a keep is destroyed, the cooldown is reset on it. Um, or you can choose Bellowing Roar. That's a bonus ability that casts an AOA, AOE fear on any nearby enemies while you're doing it. And that is kind of priceless. Um, I don't know which one of those I like better. I think I like the fear better, but you know. Um, level 20, there's there's two different ones. You can reduce the cooldown further, which is cool when you don't have any more, you know, towers or keeps to destroy or anything like that. Then you need some way to reduce that cooldown so that you can use it more often. Or you can use Arrival of a God. That causes him to stun any nearby enemies, and then it triggers his level 7 talent options for Dragonflight, which spawns various things on the ground when he lands like meteors and stuff like that this is a crazy heroic ability and i can't wait to see this in action on streams and things like that um they didn't mess around with deathwing they were like here have a little god have a little earth god play with that um he has enough drawbacks that I don't think he's going to be tremendously OP, but like with any hero that they come out with, I fully expect that when they release him, he's going to be super OP, and then the following week, they're going to introduce some gentle nerfing. <laughs> because 
guess that seems to be par for the course when they introduce new heroes. Yeah, and if anyone's ever going to, any kit is ever going to feel OP, it's this one. We didn't even list half of the damaging abilities, all which involve setting half of the battlefield on fire. This is the part that kind of wears me out, though, is that they made this announcement and everything. They didn't save it for BlizzCon. BlizzCon's like a week away, and they didn't save it for BlizzCon. Nope. So that's interesting. And that also actually leads to another news story, so maybe I'll let you segue us. Figured you were going to... I figured that's where you were going with this. Uh, The the 2019 BlizzCon schedule was finally um, released, and to I, I think I, when I called wrote about it sort of re- yeah it was sort of released. <laughs> I, I think I said something to lens of it redefines keeping your cards close to the vest because there's like four coming soon panels where they don't tell you what the panels are just coming soon. There's a lot of spaces in this schedule where we have no idea what's actually on it. There are um, okay so there's the opening ceremonies on Friday and usually the opening ceremonies are followed by a panel that covers the big news from the convention. There's not just one coming soon panel, there's four of them after the opening ceremonies, which is unusual to say the least. And then there are two more on Saturday. So what's up with that? We don't know. Yeah, we have no idea. Uh and that's there's We can we can knock Heroes of the Storm off that list though. Maybe. I mean they have an update panel. We know that yeah. there's an update panel coming. Uh, there's a Hearthstone update panel that's coming. Uh, we don't know what those panels will be, but we know that they exist. Um, there's just four coming soon panels that don't tell you anything about them. That's pretty like we can okay, assume I am that whatever's assuming, in them. I'm that's assuming going to come from be, the opening ceremonies. So. Yeah, and I'm assuming that there's going to be some World of Warcraft expansion because it's that time of the year. Um, so that's one. I am assuming that we are going to get like an Overwatch hero or something like that, and that might be two. But the thing is, does that warrant like a whole entire panel on one hero? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think we're going to get Diablo four. I'm kind of banking on Diablo four, so that's three. So what's number four, five, and six? Overwatch two. Do you think they're uh, going to drop it? I, I think they're probably also. We, we are forgetting Hearthstone here. Oh, Hearthstone's and probably I'm... going to have like an expansion or something, or like they'll they'll go over what's going to happen the next year. Okay, so that's yeah four. There's two more. Overwatch two would be I mean, five if they want to do that. I mean, we're also forgetting it. There's going to be stuff like uh, we we know they're working on Warcraft three reforged because we you know we've seen it get on the launcher. Yeah, but uh, why wouldn't we... they put that on the skit? Why would they hide that? I'm not saying they're hiding anything. I'm just saying that there's possibilities. There, there might be in something else entirely. I mean, that's the thing that before when they announced Overwatch, I always remember this from when they announced Overwatch. They kept that so low, nobody had any idea. Uh, we were all like, "What? What is this?" I remember we were like sitting around. I think at the time we were still on Slack. I mean, and we were most like, of like, us had no this? idea. Yeah. So. You never know. They they hired Alan Adam back a couple of years ago, and they put him in charge of like doing like you know developing new new IPs. And you know I don't know that he has anything, but I know he's there, and I know he's working, and I know who he is. You know the, the, his importance to both Silicon Synapse and and Blizzard in the early days. And you know without Alan Adam, there wouldn't be Wow. I I you would know? be thrilled if they would announce a new IP. I would be thrilled because the the BlizzCon where they announced Overwatch, I was there for that one. And it was 
so electric and so exciting, particularly during the opening ceremonies there where Chris Metzen was on stage and he introduced it and then he showed the animated short and then he got back from the animated short and you could tell he was just overwhelmed because he was so excited to like give that to us and let us finally see that and see what that was all about. It was just, it was a really, really exciting convention. And and the thing that really excites me though, Rossi, is that you're going to be here for this. So you get to see these reveals like in real time. You, you, it, it's so cool being there when it happens, Rossi. And I'm so excited yeah. that you're going to be there to see this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I got to be upfront here. I'm not saying that Alan Adam is going to debut anything or any new IPs are coming out. No, but if no they idea. announced Diablo 4, this was the BlizzCon for you to go to. <laughs> like... Yeah, absolutely. I've I've wanted Diablo 4 for like yeah. several years now. Yeah, and I, I'm I, hoping, I'm... I'm, I'm hoping this is the year. Come on, guys, just give it to us, please. Okay. But whatever the, what we know for sure is that the schedule's out and that it has a lot of these coming soon panels, which, you know, at the simultaneous to the fact that they exist, I mean, we know nothing about them. And that's fascinating going into this convention. Uh, so usually yeah, we I, have like a minor inkling about things. I am really hoping yeah. that we see something about Overwatch 2 because it's been whispered about here and there, but nobody's really like talked about it or what it could be or anything like that. And um, I, I want a PVE game. Please give us an Overwatch PVE game. Please, please, please. I can't wait till next week. We have like seven days, you guys. By this time next week, yeah. the opening ceremonies will be over. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, uh, for people that are listening to the podcast right now, Friday's podcast is going to be late, 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 late in the evening because we're going to be covering all of the BlizzCon coverage throughout the convention itself. Um, we'll be doing one podcast where we pull in, like traditionally we do this every year, we pull as many people as we can into a chat channel and we all talk about what's happened during the day. That'll be on Friday. And then we will be recording Lore Watch as usual on Sunday. Uh, we're going to have somebody sub in for Rossi since he's going to be at the convention, but it's okay. It's somebody really good. You're going to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, there won't be any delay on the podcast. It's just the uh, the this podcast in particular, it's going to be really late, and you probably won't see it hit the RSS feeds until Saturday. Okay. Okay, since we've been talking about um, Blizzard, you know, BlizzCon, I figured like I wanted to mention the next story that we, we published, because this one's not kind of, it's sort of one of those times when we t- we're telling you something isn't news. Uh, which seems to actually happen more than I'd expect. Sometimes but, uh, people, people got, get a little yeah. overboard about things that are normal. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, there was a poster on Reddit who noticed that the BlizzCon app was saying that you could submit questions when you're at BlizzCon. You can submit questions at the Darkmoon Fair to be asked during the uh, WoW Q&A panel. And they were like, what, they're not doing a live Q&A this year? And the, th- the answer, the simple answer to that is Yes. They're, they're doing a Q&A panel. They're not going to just take live questions from people in the audience. They're going to, you know, your, your question is going to be screened and they're going to determine, you know, which questions they have time to answer. And they have been doing it that way for years. That is how they've done it the past several BlizzCons. And the reason for that uh, is because they get a lot of questions. And they want to make sure it's, they answer the right ones and answer the ones people that, are asking. It's not just that, though. It's not just that. Having experienced this whole thing firsthand, here's the deal, guys. You'll get a panel. It'll say, ah, it's a lore Q&A panel. You'll get people come up to ask questions. And they'll ask questions that aren't related to lore at all. They'll ask questions about, like, 
well, why is this weapon mechanic not in? Or can we get these weapons? Or can we do this with the armor? Or, you know, that kind of mechanics questions that don't have anything to do with story and lore. Or vice versa. You'll have a panel that's about, like, mechanics and gameplay and that kind of thing. And you'll get people come up and they'll start asking lore questions or questions that have nothing to do with the panel at hand. So, needless to say you get a lot of times where the developers are like, well, we don't know. We can't answer that question. It's not their department. It's not their specialty. So by having people submit questions, they can direct these questions to the appropriate panels and to the appropriate people and also pick questions so that there aren't a bunch of repeats of information that we already know. And honestly, I like it better this way. I really do. Um, yeah, one of the one of the things to also to keep in mind is sometimes when mm-hmm. they do stuff like this, when they screen questions, they screen questions because if twenty people want to want to ask a variation on, say, I want to ask about Azerite armor, this thing, and someone else wants to ask about Azerite armor, that thing, they want to find a question that gives them the chance to answer as much as they can without having to answer seven questions. Yeah, they don't like, want to repeat you, themselves. Yeah, they don't want to do seven Azerite questions, each of which has minor variations in the answer. They want to get one where they can get in as much as possible. And plus it, it helps with flow. It's one of the things people don't really think about when you, one of the reasons I'm really hesitant to get up and ask questions at a Q and a, cause I did this at one convention. There was a convention up here, the Edmonton Expo a few years back where Bioware was totally talking about the next dragon age. Oh. And I got up and I asked a question and I stammered. Because I get nervous when people are looking at me. And by ha- by knowing what your question is up front, by having people ready to just come to you and say, okay, go, it can speed the process up. And you're not sitting there going, uh, 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 for like five minutes, which I'll do. So having asked the question already and having it approved, you know what you're going to ask them. I hate asking questions in the microphone because I can hear myself over the yeah, speakers. And-, and there's like that delay in there. And it, it weirds like it weirds me out and makes me pause awkwardly because I can't I can't decipher what I'm hearing. I don't know. Anyway, That's microphones okay. do that to me when I when I'm like listen. Open mics do that to me and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, we want to make that point that this is not new. This is how the Q and A has been done for years. Um, it's certainly it's a better way to do the Q and A. It's 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 yeah, seriously. I want them to do it for everything. I would say I, I'm in general agreement with that concept, but we should also, at this point, we're going to move on to talk about something big that happened this week was that we got a preview of the corrupted gear system that's coming. And I should point out since this, since we wrote this little preview, which was based on, an, on wow, had data mining, uh, Ian has a cost. watcher has come out and said, this is an early, early iteration of the system. Okay. This explain this to not, me because I was looking yeah. over it and my eyes were kind of glazing over. So explain this yeah. to me. Like I'm five. Yeah. The way this system works, um, instead of Titan forging, which was what we have now gear, the, the gear that will be dropping in 8.3 uh, will have the corrupted stuff. It basically it's the, it will have corruption as a stat on it. The corruption stat basically adds together to give you a, sco- a corruption score. The higher your corruption score gets, the more these various effects happen to you while you have corruption. Uh, for instance, if you have corrupted, if you have like 20 corruption, you'll start off with the grasping tendrils debuff, which means randomly throughout an encounter, you could suddenly have grasping tendrils appear, which will like, you know, put a debuff on your movement speed. Uh, and the more corruption you have, the more negative effects you have going up from grasping tendrils to corrupted zone, 
uh, corrupted zone would then like give you a chance to spawn like effectively a shadow or void damage area on the ground that will affect you. And of course, your your movement speed might be debuffed, and you're trying to get out of it because you're taking damage. Um, that's that's kind of cool because it seems like it, it's it's sort of like it's limiting how many pieces you want to wear, but it's not a hard limit where it's like this is just you can only wear two pieces of this gear because that's oh, you boring. can wear as much of as you want. Uh, yeah, you, you instead the limit is debuffs. yeah the limit is how much do you want to deal with the corruption, and I and... find that kind of fascinating. That's cool. There is also a positive side to it. I mean, it's not just the gear has corruption on it. When you get the corrupted gear, you'll have the corruption stat on it. And you'll have, like, the way Ben, you know how Benthic gear works now, where, like, you have a piece of gear and it has a random, like, buff on it? Like, you know, yeah. equip, you know, gives you movement speed sort of thing. You'll have a list. There's a, a bunch of these that they've data mined. Uh, there's, like, your avoidance is increased by an amount equal to X percent of your haste. Increase the amount of haste you gain from all sources by X percent. Increase the amount of mastery you gain from all sources. And it does that for critical strike, for versatility. Then you have uh, X percent of total health regeneration now continues during combat. Ooh, uh, that's a good one. Increases your healing received from all sources by X percent. Increases your leech by X percent. Your spells and abilities have a chance to grant you a, a flash of clarity, reducing the cooldown of your next three spells by two seconds. Uh, increases the damage you deal with critical strikes by X percent and reduces your damage taken from periodic effects by X percent. Those so are the ones they data mine right there's now. There's like, there's goodies. There's goodies to go along yeah. with this, but it's a matter of, yeah, those goodies are really good, but how many of those goodies do you want? Like, is it worth the corruption to take more of those goodies? I love it because it leaves that choice in the hands of the player and how and much they're willing to deal with. There's also, um, there's apparently a cleanse mechanic, which we did at the time of writing, we didn't know anything about. And I think even now it's still up in the air is exactly how this is going to work. But apparently you'll be able to take, if you have a piece of corrupted gear and you don't want to deal with the corruption, you can take it to the cleanse person and they'll cleanse it, which takes the corruption and the bonus off. So if you just want, you just have this piece of gear and you just want to have that piece of gear and not deal with corruption, you can get it cleansed there's also um at least one essence the the uh i want to call it the formless void essence which i also wrote a post about this week the formless void essence gives you an automatic 10 off your corruption okay when you have it equipped uh it also what is uh, that is that like a trinket or a no it's it's one of the essences your azurite essences oh duh okay and uh the way it works in addition to that ability which which is you know worthwhile right up there um it also duplicates you, you target another player and you can duplicate whatever major essences they have equipped. You can duplicate the rank one effect of it. Ooh. And it has a higher cooldown than their theirs would, but it gives you flexibility. You can pick like, you know, I'm a tank, but I want to have that, that cooldown that the healer has. You can use their essence instead of yours. You can effectively, if you have the formless void essence equipped. Or the, the healers could them. like, the healers could copy each other and beef themselves up real big, that kind of thing. If they had it, they, they'd be copying, you know, they'd be copying somebody else's essence. But yeah, you yeah. could, but the thing, the interesting thing is if you have essences that are limited to certain roles, that doesn't matter to this, to this essence. It will copy a tank one, even if you're a DPS. So if there's a tanking one that reduces damage you take, you can totally use it on your rogue to keep from dying during an encounter. I think I'm so salivating a little bit. <laughs> there's, there's downsides to how it works. Yeah. Like one of the downsides is it only copies rank one. 
Uh, the other downside is that it has a like it starts with a 50% longer cooldown, and then as you beef it up, it can get down to a 30% longer cooldown. Okay. So it it's still like a, a, a an essence that has a minute and a half cooldown will have a two minute cooldown, even if at max rank on this thing. At the same time, though, if you're on like a raid boss that lasts with like a really long fight or whatever, yeah, it's it's got it's use. Still it's, worth it's, it. Got, got lots of reasons you might want to use it it's very much a generalist's tool like if you want to have a an essence that gives you a little bit more flexibility it's very much that but that ties into the corruption thing because like i said it reduces your corruption by 10 percent. there's also something called corruption resistance in the files the thing about that is we have no idea what it does is that like, something to do with rathion's cloak or is it something else entirely that's what i'm wondering yeah, I think it is. I think the cloak does give you corruption resistance because I think corruption is also something that you get when you're doing the the heroic. It's like um, an insanity hit. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think it's from the visages, um, the, the the horrific visage of Nasoth encounters in Stormwind and Orgrimmar. I think that the cloak gives you resistance to that corruption, and I think the corruption stat on gear feeds into that corruption. So I think it's all related. But uh, this is stuff we're speculating about. What we know is the stuff that's been data mined is just the bare bones, several like several iterations ago version, and we're going it to see more of it. Yeah, it hasn't been completely hammered out yet. What I really One of like the things, about this, though, yeah. is that like we kind of almost have, in a way, a demarcation of how long this is going to be on the PTR. Because if this is a really, really early version of it, then we're still really, really early in the PTR. So we're not going to see the PTR bump out anytime soon. Yeah, one of the things that I, I I think we needs to be pointed out is this has happened every expansion where we've had major league old god stuff. Going back at this point, going back to um, Ulduar with with Yog Saron, there's always been gear that's introduced that has an unusual proc or strange abilities. Um, the end of Dragon Soul comes to mind with the trinkets all out of uh, out of spine and the weapons off of Madness of Deathwing. Oh yeah, the, weapon, the weapons from Madness of Deathwing all had weird procs. Um, I remember Girthalok, which was the two-handed sword, but there was the one-handed sword and the, the, the pole arm, and they all had unusual procs that either did a ton of damage or was, otherwise did something unusual. I was going to say, I don't remember the weapons, but that's because I had the legendary daggers. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but like the, the trinkets were all like really bizarre and old god themed. And that's something they've done in every expansion where they've had like, an old god thing. Like If you remember Mists of Pandaria... Uh, Siege of Orgrimmar, you had like the the stuff, the weapons and stuff that dropped in there that had like old god themes. Um, I think Zalatath is one of them that comes to mind. Uh, the the, the two handed axe, desecrated image of Gorhal. I think it was Zalato. Sorry, not Zalatath. Zalato. Zalatath is the shadow dagger. But Zalato. I wonder if the same person Gorhal. named both of those things. Like, did they do that deliberately, or was it an accident? Like, two different designers named two different things, and they were like, "Oops, those are really similar." Oh well. But yeah, um, there's. This is very much along those lines where you have these unusual abilities based on the corruption stat. And I, I, one of the things that I know Ian said when he was talking about it on Twitter is that the uh, originally the way that it's in the files, the corrupt, the amount of corruption you can get on a piece is, is random. So you could get a ton of corruption or not very much corruption. And they're not going to do that when they actually roll out the system because that would be extremely frustrating if, if two people got like the same pants. But... They, one of them got like corruption 500 as a stat, and the other one got corruption 50. Oh, would, yeah, yeah, that would be the, annoying. They're not doing that. Um, the corruption will be 
it, the randomization is entirely on whether or not you get a piece of corrupted gear because it's like Titan forging that way. Okay. Uh, the piece of gear drops and it's got corruption on it. Or it so doesn't. these are not guaranteed. The corrupted pieces they are not guaranteed drops. It's sort of like Titan forging where if you get random loot on something, there's a chance that it could proc with this corrupted thing on it. Yeah, it's very much like Titan forging in that it is the next step in terms of you get slightly boosted gear. One okay. thing I do also want to mention is there's also a, a non-combat effect for having corrupted gear. Really? Um, it's effectively like it's a, like a muted version of shadow form. Oh, you get like a shadow so, aura type thing. Yeah, it looks you look darker and more sinister when you're wearing it <laughs> because you're you know you're basically leaking evil. Basically, you so, look like Mitch. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Mitch does have a corruption stat, so it's not yeah, exactly. you know. But in, in all sincerity, it, it is an interesting idea. I don't, I I will be upfront and I'll say I don't know how much I like this yet. And I, I haven't made a decision and I won't make a decision until I've gotten the chance to at least take it for a spin on the PTR. But there are stuff, there's stuff about it that I find interesting, like the RP element of it. The fact that it, it does have this, you can basically say, okay, I'm willing to take the risk that I'm going to get three debuffs all procking to get like you know added crit damage and added you know crit chance because there's some there's some specs where getting like you know getting critical strike from all sources by x percent would be like huge you'd sell a baby for that much this less is... okay occasionally occasionally i'm going to be a little harder to heal okay well i guess the healer's just going to have to suck it up this is that... this is what i like about it it yeah. it takes it from rng to player choice and personally, I like the fact, I like it better when a player has to make a choice about something than just a flat, well, maybe you'll get it next time, you know, that kind of thing. So I like the fact that they've kind of balanced this out with, okay, here's a good thing, but if you take that good thing, you're also going to have to deal with this bad thing. Are you willing to deal with the bad thing? And then it leaves that decision up to the player. And I, I really like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's also, like, there's a few unknowns, like, for instance, how, what the corruption resistance is going to do. Like, can you get enough resistance to cheese it down so you can actually use I don't think they're going to do that. You... Yeah, well, I don't we'll think they're going to make gonna it do, do too much with that. I don't I don't think they're going to let you cheese it too much. Because if they let you cheese it, then you know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to start farming these pieces like mad and feel like they have to start farming these pieces like mad because there's a way to cheese it. And that way you'll be able to do more damage or whatever. You know what I mean? I think they're I think they're willing to here's my thought. I think they're willing to let it cheese down a little. Like Not if all you the way, could though. basically I don't think you'd be able to cheese it off like cuz what's the point if you can remove corruption entirely? Yeah. But if you could drop the corruption effect if you're willing to put the effort in, I think that's a way to get people to put the effort in. Okay. And I don't I don't think they I don't think that's unreasonable to expect them to do. Yeah. But we'll see what it is. We'll see how it works when it's all finally out and tested and, and playable. But I just I, we... I get into that thing where it's like when they give players options, invariably somebody will find something that they define or that is universally defined as the best and I'm air quoting here, the best option. And that removes that whole aspect of player choice altogether. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This seems like it's kind of it, this seems like it's kind of combating that because it's kind of random if you get a corrupted piece at all at all and there's bad that goes with the good and there's not going to be i mean i don't know I, I i can't see people min maxing this stuff 
They will oh. find a way to do it because they find a way to do it with everything. But I don't think it's going to be easy for people to min-max this stuff. Uh, there, there definitely will be some min-maxing. And, yeah. and it depends entirely on how this system actually plays out. Okay. But for right now, what we know is that it has a certain amount of – there's the, the positive and negative for each piece, which I think is interesting. And the fact that the negative is set up in such a way that it's – you know, as your corruption goes up, the more negative effects happen. That's interesting because it, it it tells you, okay, for some fights, like we're, we're not taking any damage at all. Go ahead and slap on all your corrupted gear. Get, let's give the healer something to do. But on other fights, when we're pushing progression, uh, you need to take off some corrupted gear. We need you to get down. We can't have everybody, you know, taking twice as much damage and taking twice as little, like half the healing that we're not going to get this down. So yeah. th- there's, there's an element of that too. And, and it depends entirely on how much that plays out, but. That's pretty much it for top stories, I think. Yep. So we're going to move on to do them their emails. Uh, if you have an email for the show, uh, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for the show. Or you can use our Discord. Uh, we have a podcast and Q questions for our pa- patrons. Uh, I forget. It's, I think it's Patreon podcast and Q questions. You can use that channel and you can just you know say it's for the show or what have you, so we know that you mean for it to be used here. Uh, Anne usually reads them for us, so if you don't mind, Anne, take it away. Yep. First email here is from Iceman, who says, Question for the podcast. With the upcoming release of Volpera and Mechadomes, I've noticed a trend where the allied races we've gotten are variants of existing core races. For Alliance, one second. Sorry, I had to cough. Anyway, for Alliance, we have a human, dwarf, elf, draenei, and now gnome variant. For the Horde, we have... An orc, troll, elf, tauren, and now a goblin variant. Assuming we receive at least one more set of allied races to match the amount of core races, and assuming this trend isn't just coincidence, that would suggest Alliance will get a worgen variant and Horde will get an undead variant. Lightforged undead has been thrown around due to Kalia, and for worgen I wonder, if following the links Tyrande has gone thus far, perhaps Malfurion will make another attempt at mastering the pack form with the help of Gen, giving us Night Elf worgen. Do you think this trend is just coincidence? Are there other likely options for the next set of allied races? Might they ever go so far as to give Tortalans as a neutral alternative to Pandaren? What what do you think about all of that, Rossi? Well, I mean, he forgot there's an actually another elf variant. Yeah. Oh no, he didn't actually list it. He, he said he said elf on both. Times. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I I I don't disagree. Like one of the things I've always thought is that they could bring they could do uh, night elf warden. I've always wanted them to do that. I want like an alpha prime type. I I think that'd be really cool. Uh, and in fact, one of the things I thought of was that you know considering what's going on with the the night elves right now it would make sense for Malfurion to go forth into the Emerald Dream and find the tree that the original war going to buried under, essentially, in the in the Emerald Dream and, like, break them out. My, just, my thought on this is, if they did Night Elf Worgen, would they be... Would they automatically just all be druids? Or would they be, like, a worgen, like the worgen are on with the humans, only they can also be other classes and stuff, too, and they just happen to have pack form? I would think you'd go with the idea that after so long under Dalinir, the ones that the ones that are under Dalinir would be the ones who are instructing new Night Elf Worgen. Okay. And you wouldn't you wouldn't be playing one of the original ones. You'd be playing the new ones that I think his point about Malfurion trying to master the pack form again. I think it would be like he'd go to them and bring them out and say we're going to make a new order of druids. And so the order of the what were they originally the order of the scythe or the order of the the pack? 
It was pack form. form, but I believe it was Order of the Scythe. I think. I think. I think that would work pretty well if you had new Night Elf Worgen who are like just playable, and you you had that. You you don't want to just have them all just be like automatically druids. Although I do think you could have druids. Like they should get druids absolutely, but I don't think you'd want to have them just be druids. And I think it would be interesting because if they did do light forged or light you know light blessed uh, undead like a Kalia style undead you'd have these more sinister worgen as the counterpart here's my thoughts on this cuz and i've been kind of like thinking about this all day honestly light forged undead not a bad idea kind of interesting do like the whole thing with Kalia think that that's lore that could be explored further and this would provide an opportunity to do that right but if they were part of the horde that would mean that Kalia is part of the horde and I don't know if that's I, I just I, I feel like if they did Lightforged Undead they would have to almost have to make them alliance kind of just because they would they would fall under that umbrella but I can't in a million years see any night elf ever not even if they are worgen I can't see any night elf ever willingly joining up with the horde not after what they did no yeah i would have agreed with what you're saying until, but it, they they've pretty much addressed it in eight in the eight two stuff eight two five they did kind of sort of but kind of sort of and the and the eight three stuff we see more of it and we know that okay well Kalia we don't want to talk about data mining stuff yeah. too much but yeah but, but with that stuff in existence that we know about um, whether or not it comes live there's a direction where you could have Kalia with some sort of presence in the horde, even if she's not actually a member where she's got a connection to them. And the other thing is it doesn't have to be light forged undead either. Although that's certainly a possibility because we know there's another type of new undead that's been created recently and who are now adrift in the horde. Mm. Calderai undead. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that they exist, not just because they show up, at certain points, but they're even in the cinematic trying to kill Thrall. Yeah. That's a, that's a night elf undead that, that tries to assassinate him. So Sylvanas made a whole bunch of them and now they're adrift. I mean, they if don't... you're out there in dark shore doing the quest in dark shore, you see this in action. So, yeah. Um, so with that stated, you could very easily do that. You could just have night elf undead who are in the horde and night elf worgen who are in the Alliance. And now you've got the whole you've got the whole undead worgen thing. You've now got the Calderai fighting out that battle inside themselves. Oh, that would be that's, creepy and weird, but kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay, so here's my so next here's here's my other two points to make because I have two other points to make with this. Number one, um, maybe the idea of Forsaken Lightforged Undead not being a particularly appealing alliance prospect or horde prospect rather you would think that Kalia would stick with the alliance but at the same time if we go factionless if we if we actually if they do that if they pull that card then this would all make sense because it wouldn't be your character is joining one faction or another or anything it's your character is fighting for themselves and they happen to be part of this particular group sort of like how in legion it wasn't about the alliance and the horde so much as it was about um your class hall and and the class that you were and uh, embracing the class fantasy all of that stuff 
only this time it's like individual groups it's the forsakens doing their the forsaken are doing their own thing it's you know that kind of thing um and they happen to like you know come together in whatever council thing they decide to do or whoever they decide to put at the head of the table i don't know who that's going to be or what's going to happen with that either um but it could be something along those lines and then it wouldn't really matter it, it, it really wouldn't matter because Kalia, I feel like Kalia is the proper leader for the Forsaken as it stands because she is the last remnant of Lordaeron's ruling family. She's the last Manithil. And because of that, it's almost her place to step up and lead. It, it feels like that is the right decision. It would be the right decision. But... It's interesting you say that because I've seen a lot of players who are still diehard Forsaken players yeah. who don't like that no, and I totally that. get that. I totally get that. But and and I think there's a difference between looking at it from a player perspective because a player that's been playing and following Sylvanas all of this time, they're going to look at Kalia and go, "Who are you?" But for somebody who has read the lore, followed the lore, been following the lore since like the early days of Warcraft and whatnot, and and the whole you know everything that happened with the Menethils, everything that happened to King Terranus, to Arthas, to Arthas's mother, wherever she happens to be, or, you know, may she rest in peace, because she probably is right now. Um, it's just this tragic, tragic story, and it feels like the right note to have a Menethil suddenly come back to the throne. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm looking at it from a story perspective, not necessarily a player perspective. I get the player standpoint. I do get the player standpoint. Because somebody that's just been playing World of Warcraft and has never looked into the earlier games, they don't know who this chick is. They well, have no there's idea. Actually, there's actually people who are coming at it from a lore standpoint. Yeah. That their character is lo was loyal to Sylvanas for what she did. And yeah. they, they don't know anything about Kalia. Like, you know, why, you know, you shouldn't get to rule me just because you're the daughter of somebody who ruled me when I was alive. My entire life situation, my unlife situation is very different. There's, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I just feel like there's, there's a, there's an interesting story to be told in the idea of how Kalia would go about doing this. And I think and she's really she hesitant about the old idea to begin with, honestly. Yeah. I mean, imagine like she, I could imagine her going to, to Undercity or wherever they're going to end up living if they can't go back to Undercity and saying, look, I, if, if you have doubts, I have them too. And, you know, if, if we, do, if we together decide that I am not the person for this, that's, maybe that's fine by me, but I want to do what I can for you. Cause that's what I think Callie's real qualification is, is that she's interested in she helping wants, them. She wants to help. She wants yeah. to help. That's her big thing is she knows what these people have been through and she wants to help. Um, yeah, and, and part of and that is is her bloodline, and part of that is just Kalia is a very compassionate person. Well, plus, I mean, there's the whole Derek thing, but you know, we probably should move yeah. on because we got do some other emails. Okay, here. all right, all right. I could talk about this forever, but we could probably just talk about it on Lore Watch instead, and maybe we will. All right. Um, next email is from Tasemi, who says, "Question for the podcast: Blizzard has some amazing stories to tell. They do a good job with the in-game cinematics and some of the questing, but I think their real strength is in the novels and then reflecting some of that content in game." Theramore excluded slash Shudder. Yeah, I agree with you there, buddy. Uh, would you like to see Blizzard get back to more frequent novel releases? Do you think that their strategy is now solely in-game storytelling with occasional short stories on their website? I think that they do the bridge novels. I think I think that they're just doing the bridge novels right now. 
I want them to do more frequent novel releases, but that's because I like reading the novels. So, you know, anyway, go ahead, Rossi. I'm going to let you chime in first. Uh, okay. Um, wow. Wasn't ready. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were going to go. Um, I think in general, like what we've seen over the past few releases is a refinement to how they do novels. And I think it generally works pretty well in that in the past you'd get a novel at an odd time and it didn't really feel like it felt like why couldn't this have been in the game like i'm looking right at you uh storm you know storm rage i'm not saying you're a bad novel but i felt like that was a story that i wanted the the nightmare war in game anyway yes um and i think they've gotten to the point now where like you know before the storm i think is nearly perfect in terms of what you want from a game novel it sets up stuff that would be extremely hard to do in game because it gives you a lot of the characterization of these characters. We can't in game. You cannot have Anduin Rin's personal struggles for like that. No one wants to play that quest. Uh, well, okay. Not no one. Anne wants to play that quest and a few dozen. And I would people. cry while I was doing yeah. it. And I'd be happy about crying while I was doing it anyway. But by having it in the novel, you can have it be the central characterization. You can watch the character struggles. You can see him lose people important to him. You can, you can read his thoughts. You can't yeah. read a person's thoughts in game. And it doesn't matter how masterful those models are. You can't read what they're thinking in game. Not certainly not to the same degree and fidelity as you get when you're doing it in a novel. And I think the novel does a really good job. It also does something that that's really effective that we often forget. When we see characters doing things in game, we we just see them doing those things. We don't get what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their you know struggle is. One thing that the books have always done better than than Wow the game, and I'll I'll pull, I'll pull this up right now, is it they have given you a Sylvanas Windrunner who is not a good person, but a person that is graspable. You can look at that person and understand why they do the things they do. You don't have this in game because it's just, Sylvanas is not going to stop and give you a 35 minute monologue on why she's doing these things. You know, you're just going to see them. You're not going to really know. And I think the cinematics still do a good job of this. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the Warbringers cinematics, you get a real sense of Sylvanas' emotional turmoil. And there are there are like yeah. little subtle inferences and stuff like that that you can yeah. get from the cinematic. So it does work on that level. But it's still not the same level as a novel or a short story. And I think really, I think the, the last couple ones I've read, I think War Crimes and Before the Storm did an, an amazing job of setting up, you know, the, here's the story that we're going to be telling you in game. And here's the background characters. And this way you get this sense of who they are and what they're about and what, why they're doing what they're I doing. I have been waiting for Christy Golden to get her hands on a Sylvanas book for years because Sylvanas is one of her favorite characters. And she said this. She said this many... Her cat, one of her cats is named Sylvanas. She loves Sylvanas to bits, right? Um, and she never got to write her, really. War Crimes was her first opportunity to write Sylvanas. And as soon as I finished that book, I'm like, yes, please give her every Sylvanas project from here on out because this woman knows how to write that character. Uh, War Crimes was just, if you have not read War Crimes, get on that because the Sylvanas subplot throughout the whole thing was amazing. It really was. Yeah, and I think to a degree... That's where the books are at their best, and that's where the kind of storytelling they should be doing in novels, and they have been. Um, I don't, I can't think of anything negative to say about the storytelling 
from, from from when before the storm came out since the storytelling in battle for Azeroth has been superb. It has been just plain superb. Uh, whether or not you like that story, and that's a different that's a different question. There's there's a different question between did you like what the story is and did you like how the story was told? Was the it story- a well crafted story? Not just well crafted. I'm going to take it way past that because we okay. use well crafted a lot. This yeah. is a story that yeah. displayed actual, honest to god mastery and depth. of the form. Uh, it, this is a story where they're coming out and they're like, okay. Now we have this, we have this like, you know, digital rendered cinematic. Now we have this in-game cinematic. Now we have this small story beat moment. Now this quest will take you to this. It it really is. The thing that we forget when we look at an MMO is that the storytelling in an MMO has evolved to be this kind of symphonic thing where you you have different elements, each telling their story in a different way. And when you go back to, if you go back and you play through classic and you play through the quests in classic, they don't hold a candle to anything that you see in Battle for Azeroth or in Legion, any of the recent ones, really. Because yeah, Legion the, was also, I think Legion was also one of those stories that was really well told. Anyway, continue. Classic has, classic has its storytelling moments because, yeah. you mean, you know, it, they were learning how to do. And there were some things that, you know, I, as an original player, oh, the Tyrion story for. chain. The Tyrion story yeah. chain was so amazing. Pamela Redpath. I will and, never know oh the story of Pamela Radpath. Yeah. Um, uh, Darrow Shire in, in classic is just like Eastern and Western terms, plague lands in classic are some of my favorite areas. Yeah. Go well, ahead. In terms of stuff, just in terms of how they were told at the time, they were told the best they could with the tools they had, with the people they had, the experience they had. And I'm not bagging on them and I'm not denigrating them. They were good. Sometimes really good. And it's not just those areas, those are just the ones I'm listing. But all that said, this expansion has been unbelievably well done. And I, I just, I cannot express to you how hard it is to do what they've done in an MMO. Uh, you know, because I've been, I've been watching, not just WoW either, I've been watching MMOs tell stories for years. And so there's been some really good storytelling out there in MMOs. Like if you haven't played Star, Star Wars The Old Republic, there's some good stuff out there. So when I Final say Battle Fantasy, Rock, the Final Fantasy yeah. MMO also has some pretty excellent storytelling going on in when, it as well. When I say this expansion is told masterfully, I am not playing around. It's not yeah. a joke. And it's not. It's not hyperbole. Um, that being said, would I like to see more novels? Yes and no. If they can get people to write them and they can find stories that need to be told in the novel format that wouldn't work in game, then yeah, by all means, get more novels. But I feel like right now their balance is pretty solid. If they do like a novel or two, um, one of what comes to mind, a really good novel that comes out was the, the tie-in for Illidan when Legion came out. Yes. Um, I have that novel. It's extremely good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does a lot to bridge between Burning Crusade and Legion to explain what Illidan Which is a Illidan difficult task. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it bridges what he was doing, why he was doing it, and, you know, doesn't take away from the fact that what he was doing was evil and he knows it. He knows I am doing something horrible. I feel like I have no choice, but no, this, this is just as horrible as that thing I did back in the original war of the ancients where I drained my own people's magic. This is a horrible thing I'm doing. And there's an awareness of it that he knows that he's blasting his own soul by doing this. He knows that he'll never be the person he was when he was a twin, you know, a child with his brother and they were competing, and they were brothers. He knows he's given that up. That when he uses the word brother 
to talk to, to, to Malfurion, in a way, it's a word he has no right to use. It's almost a mockery of that word. Yeah, and but he, but it's not. He's not trying to mock him. It's just the awareness of the weight of what he's done. That that he'll never be close to these people again. That he's and there's an elegiac nature to that book that I've I've rarely seen in a book in a video game tie-in novel. That I I honestly it was really it, beautifully it, written. It's a really well done book. So I feel like they're doing a good job, and I don't feel like I want them to push it too much harder if it means su- sacrificing that quality. But on the other hand. If you could give me a Christy Golden novel where she writes Sylvanas for another 300 pages, I'm not saying no to that. So that's where I am. Okay. So um, imagine that you hear somebody dropping a stack of books on the desk. I've got some things to say. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, basically, I agree with everything that you just said. Everything you just said. But... Would I like to see more novels? Yes, absolutely. I think that they're missing. I would like to see more short stories. Um, I miss the days of Miss of Pandaria where we had short stories that kind of represented and encapsulated every faction that was introduced in that expansion. It helped. I think it helped bring Pandaria to life even more than playing it in-game did. It was just like another dimension of that whole thing. I wish they would bring that back. Um, and on top of that, because we are running out of time here, very quickly, I will say, I want to see the Arthas novel made into a trilogy. I want two more books. I want Christy to write them. I want one of them to be named Kalia and I want the other one to be named Bolvar. And that's all I gotta say about that. Mm, I just gave myself goosebumps. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I think that's gonna go ahead and wrap us up for emails though and wrap us up for the show because we are running out of time here. Uh, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, Again, guys, if you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for this show. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast, and we'll be here again next week, but it'll be special. It's going to be late because next week is BlizzCon. Special BlizzCon. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to try to be on that show. I don't know for sure because, I mean, it's going to be my first BlizzCon ever, and I'm going to be freaking out, and it'll be late in the day, and I'll probably be real tired. But I'm going to try to make sure I Skype in so we can, you know, have the, the gang together when we have other people. We're probably going to have other people from the site on as well, and we're going to just try and do a whole thing. So, yeah, definitely be here next week. Uh, it's going to be so exciting, guys. It's BlizzCon. I'm going to let myself have this one Let's go! Woo! And now we're done, and we're gonna. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being <laughs> here, guys. Bye.